So, I am here in Cottbus with Dr. Harald Schwarz. He is a professor at the Technical University. Um, good morning, Professor Schwarz. So we are having a conversation today about the German electricity grid. Yeah. I'm going to get into exactly what that conversation is in a minute, but uh, firstly, Professor Schwarz is just going to introduce himself briefly and talk about his research specialities. Okay, so I'm professor here for energy distribution and high voltage engineering. So main task of my research is the grid integration of renewables and so also the grid integration of electromobility. Uh, I'm also professor in Shanghai at two universities in Moscow and also in St. Petersburg. Uh, but let's say the main task is the actual situation on the German Energiewende, which is energy transition or energy revolution, like the Chinese people normally translate that. Uh, and up to now, we have a lot of trouble to integrate uh, these ideas into the real existing power system. So that's the main task of my research. Fantastic. Okay. So the reason I'm here today is that we, it is October and we don't know what's going to happen this winter. The people in Germany are suddenly afraid that they don't have enough, not going to have enough energy for to heat their houses and also that there's not going to be enough energy to keep the lights on in the winter. The obvious, the immediate cause of this is the Ukrainian war, Russia cutting gas supplies. But there's another element, that is that Germany and the, what you already mentioned, the Energiewende, Germany has invested a huge amount in renewable energy that I think uh, the figures for recent years, something like 40% of electricity was created in Germany through renewables, something like a trillion euros has been spent on the energy vendor. Other countries have invested, of course, in renewables, but Germany is definitely seen as one of the leading countries in doing so. Renewables have obvious advantages in terms of the fact, I mean, the big one is that they don't release uh, CO2 into the atmosphere. They also produce cheap energy, Another question of whether that makes electricity cheaper, but they also have weaknesses. And so we want to talk a little bit about this theme today. So I want to start with this question, that since the war, in, since Russia invaded Ukraine, I can't remember how many times I've read journalists say or heard certain politicians say, now we're paying the price for the fact that the Merkel government didn't invest enough in the energy vendor that she didn't invest while she was chancellor, not enough wind turbines were built. What is your opinion on this argument? To understand or to answer that question, we should discuss first a little bit the difference between the gas sector, so the situation with the Russian gas, and the electricity sector. So if you go to the gas sector, we have storages in Germany which are able to supply Germany for several months one, two, three months. Actually, we are filling up the gas storages. If you go to the electricity sector, uh, we have storages which are able to supply Germany for 30 to 60 minutes. So that means at any time of the year, minute by minute, we have to follow the load exactly by the generation. There is no other chance because we only can balance a very, very small mismatch. So that means we are always, not, not always, we, all the nations in, in the world are looking for reliable uh, generation units with secured output. 
if you focus on wind and on photovoltaics. Uh, you have the situation that you have several times a year without any wind, without any photovoltaic. So that means, I think actually we do not pay the price that we have not enough wind and photovoltaics. We have to pay the price that we move out of nuclear and out of coal at the same time. So we switch off, let's say, the secure generation. Also, let's say the gas-fired units are more or more critical. So that's why we have to pay now a very, very high price for this, let's say, decision in the past. But it's not the question to have more renewables because you never can build a secured output uh, or power generation only based on wind energy and photovoltaics. So what you seem to be talking about there is something that is called in the technically uh, the base load of electricity. Exactly. Can you briefly explain why this base load is so important for stability in the electricity grid? I think we must be a little bit careful with this wording because base load normally is let's say the old system. If you went back in history for 20 years, uh, we had the consumers, so they had their energy or electricity demand per day, per month, per year. And you can see there is a base load, so that means there is a need of electricity all around the year, 24-7, which is about 40 gigawatt, a bit more than 40 gigawatt in Germany. So this amount of energy or this amount of power we need all around the year. And then on top, we have a demand during the daytime, which is the medium power, and then we need a small amount of electricity to balance the, let's say, the mismatch between the planning for the power station and the real load, which is the peak load. Because it means that's the demand from the consumer side. In the former times, we had, let's say, generation units which are optimized to supply the base load, which is the base power generation. So normally it's nuclear, or in Germany it's lignite. For the medium power, we normally use the hard coal, and for the peak power, we had the gas turbines. But that was, let's say, the time before liberalization of the energy market. So we had closed areas with power stations, with consumers, with power systems, and it is operated in this way I just explained to you. Very similar to all the other countries around the world. Then we started with liberalization, so all the power stations now trade their electricity on the energy exchange. So that means it's completely decoupled from the demand. So the consumer has to check where can I buy the electricity I need. So that means now the base power generation is normally a very old wording. If we now have additionally wind and photovoltaics, then we have a situation for sometimes maybe a week, a day or whatever, we have huge amount of renewables. We have to reduce the conventional systems because we have to, let's say, follow the load minute by minute. Mm -hmm. And suddenly there is a situation without wind or without photovoltaic. And now the question is, and who can supply this mismatch? So that means now we have a wording which is called secured power generation. It's a kind of percentage of the installed capacity. So for example, if you take, let's say, nuclear power stations or coal-fired units or gas-fired units, and they are well-maintained and they have enough primary energy in the power station, then they have a ratio of about 90% of the installed capacity is always available. The remaining 10% are units which have maintenance or failures or whatever. So that means the secured output of this uh, nuclear, coal and gas is roughly 90%. 
you take wind and photovoltaics, you have nearly nothing. And now the question is, are you able to follow the load minute by minute only based on these uh, fluctuating units? And that's normally not possible. So exactly. So to, to make it a little bit less technical, when you're talking about things like peak uh, demand, that means there's times in the day which are probably more or less predictable when each of us at home or in the office use more electricity than at other times of day. Some of these might be less predictable, though there might be certain events that cause yeah, electricity if you change to peak. The forecast for the demand is absolutely perfect. So we made investigations for the past 100 years. All the utilities around the world did that on their consumers. So they have curves, for example, working days, Monday till Friday. They have curves for Saturday, for Sunday. They also can split into households or industry or trading areas, whatever. So that means they are really very, very well informed on the, let's say, demand in the next 15 minutes, in the next hour, in the next day. And this small difference between the forecast of the load, for example, for tomorrow, and the real planning of the power stations, this small mismatch that was normally supplied either by gas turbines mm -hmm. or by the small pump storage units, so the small storages. That's why we only have these very, very small storage units in the systems, because normally, let's say the forecast of the load was absolutely perfect. We made the planning and we know the mismatch. We have some gas turbines, we have some uh, pump storage units. But now we have very, very highly fluctuating sources, which is wind and photovoltaic. And to make this forecast is much more complicated, only to know what is the output, uh, for example, for tomorrow from wind energy or photovoltaic. And then the question is, and how to deal with the gap? For example, if the forecast wind energy tomorrow is starting from afternoon, there is no sunshine, uh, we have, let's say, an output uh, from photovoltaics dropping down from 100% down to 20%. And who will deliver this difference? Mm -hmm. That is the question. And then you need normally power stations in your own country, which are able to deliver at any moment of the year. Or you have to go to the European market and that makes it much more complicated. So just to put that very simply, I'm not saying that any government is actually suggesting this, but electricity system that was 100% based on renewables, 100% based on wind and solar would be useless at actually delivering on electricity needs of a population because you can predict demand but there's no way of controlling the weather. There is a really good example from China because they are normally very tough in very strong decisions. So if you take the mixture of renewable energy in China, and they have, uh, uh, let's say, a ratio of renewables uh, compared with the demand, which is very similar to the German ones. So we made an investigation about, I think, five, six years ago. That time we had, uh, if I remember correctly, 32% in Germany, renewables in the electricity sector, and Chinese had about, China had about 26%. But the, let's say the mixture is totally different. If you go to Germany, the largest renewable generation will come from wind, then from photovoltaic, then from biomass, then from hydro. If you go to China, 75% of the renewable is coming from hydro. 25% is wind and photovoltaic. And they also had the same question for how long we can supply a larger area 
only based on renewables, but with this mixture, hydro and a little bit of wind energy. And they made a very nice experiment. They took the Jinan uh, province, the Jinhai province, that's somewhere in the center of China. It's about, can't remember the figures exactly, but I, I think it's about 6 million people. And the size is five times larger than Germany. So not really much people in a quite large area. So, and they simply switch off all the interconnection lines into this province. And then they say, okay, organize your supply based on your 75% of hydro plus 25% on photovoltaics. After 168 hours, which is more or less a week, they came to a point where it's no lo not longer possible to supply this area. So even you have 75% of hydro, which is relatively easy to operate. In Germany, we have the situation, I think our ratio of hydro is, I'm not sure, 4%, 5%, so it means nearly nothing. Uh, we have a little bit of biomass and the rest is pure fluctuating wind and solar. And for sure that will never work. Okay, so never is a, is a very <laughs> stark word. Never means without any additional uh, arrangement, so that means Pure, if you only have photovoltaic and wind, nothing else, for sure it will never work. Okay, so proponents say we just need to spread the turbines out or we need more offshore. Offshore is so stable, offshore wind is so stable that it's, it's effectively a, a, secure, it's a secure source of electricity. But you know, secure means at any minute of the year. Mm -hmm. And if you take the real figures, so you simply take the generation from offshore wind farms, you can measure that minute by minute or normally 15 minute by 15 minute, and you can find out where are the moments with very low production. And you simply take these values with very low production and check what's the ratio to the installed capacity. And you will find if you take, let's say, only the German offshore systems on, in the North Sea and also in the Baltic Sea, the secured generation from offshore wind is 2%. If you have onshore wind, it's 1%. If you have photovoltaics, it's zero, because that's clear in the night you have no sunshine. That means uh, even if you take whole Europe, if you add all the wind farms in whole Europe, so the ones in Portugal, in Greece, or in Bulgaria, doesn't know where, you will get 7 or 8% secured output. Main problem, you have no chance to get the electricity from Portugal uh, to Germany. So that means normally you have to do that, let's say, on the scaling of a nation. So that means, and that's the principal ideas for the past 100 years in all the nations around the globe. All the nations have to secure a generation at any moment from their own sources. And only if they have failures or if they want to trade a little bit, they can do that. But let's say principal idea is all the nations has to ensure the power supply, electricity supply at any moment of the year. And that's where Germany decided, no, if we can't supply our own country, we buy it in Bulgaria, in Poland, in France or at any other place. And that will cause a lot of trouble to Europe. So there's another argument that advocates of renewals put forward. They say that Germany can store electricity at times of high wind and solar production and then use it at night time or at times of low wind. Is this possible? And if so, is it, does Germany have the capability to do this at the moment? 
smile a bit because I'm not sure you know uh, Radio Yerevan in in UK. Is that uh, let's say because in Germany we had this I think that was uh, from television and they always answer in principle yes comma but. Mm-hmm. So that means in, for this question, same answer. In principle, you can use storage. That is not really new, this idea. Question is, what's the size of storage you need? What's the size of storage you have? And how long it will take to expand the existing storages to the needed one? And what's the money you have to spend for that? Mm-hmm. So, and if you take the real situation, in Germany, we have a storage capacity. Now it becomes a bit more complicated. So it's, we have 40 gigawatt hours. So gigawatt is normally the power and the hour means you can run, for example, these units with 40 gigawatt for one hour. That's the storage capacity we have in Germany. That's enough for these 30 to 60 minutes. So that's the current capacity. The current capacity. Uh, if you take, for example, the largest storage system we have, so the largest pump storage unit, which is located here in the east of Germany, will have a capacity of eight gigawatt hours. So you can pump water with one gigawatt for eight hours uphill or downhill. Mm-hmm. So that means a normal pump storage unit is in the range of five, 10, maybe 15 gigawatt hours. So the largest in Germany is eight. If you look to battery systems, the largest battery on earth is from Tesla in Australia is 0.1 gigawatt hour. The largest battery in Germany is 0.05. And if you, for example, want to supply Germany for a week because you have these dark doldrums, so no wind, no photovoltaic, you need about 5,000 gigawatt hours for a week. So that means that's the problem. Uh, this we have overproduction. So just to interrupt you there, so so five thousand would five thousand gigawatt hours would be needed to ensure that there's enough electricity for this week in which there's too little sun, too little wind. Exactly. So we have let's in say comparison to the actual storage capability now is how much did you say? Okay. How much is the actual uh, storage capability at the moment? Forty. So 40 compared to 5,000. So 5,000 is what we need to achieve. 40 is where we're at. You can take relatively easy. So let's say the annual energy or the annual electricity demand is between 500 and 600,000 gigawatt hours. So that means if you have one week, it's let's say between 5,000 or 8,000. So in, in this range, in the winter, you need more than in the summer. But let's say... The existing storage capacity is far, far away from the ones you need if you supply Germany for some days. Uh, for sure, we have situations, especially here in the northeast of Germany, we have a huge amount of wind energy. We also have very large photovoltaic installations and we have very low load due to the, let's say, de-industrialization after German reunification. So that means we have very, very often days where we produce much, much more electricity than needed in this area. So, and for example, if you take, uh, let's say, a normal regional distribution company here around Cottbus, in some days they have overproduction of 200 or 300 gigawatt hours, only one regional distribution company. You say, okay, then we can take this or we can store this electricity, but storage capacity is only 40 in whole Germany. So if you go to the gas sector, for example, uh, the storage capacity on the gas side is 250,000 
gigawatt hours. Mm-hmm. And now you get a feeling between these 40 and 250,000, why it's much, much more easy on the gas side. You can fill up the storage during summertime and you can use this storage in winter. Absolutely easy to operate. No need to balance load and uh, or demand and uh, the production of gas minute by minute. So you can make a plan for a week or a month. Absolutely easy. On the electricity side, really, we, we need that minute by minute. We have to discuss power, not electricity or energy. So, But normally, if you talk to the politicians or to the media or to a large group of the population, they are not, they, they do not know that, they are not interested in that. So they dream about a great future. <laughs> do you think it is the case that, um, so two things there, is it is a problem that there's not been enough in public money put into create, investing in researching better storage technology because politicians just don't understand this problem? Or is this the techn- are the technological solutions so far in the future that this it's actually just too early to put an electricity grid onto renewables? I think the main problem, if you go to the media or the political discussion, the, the main problem is really Uh, they hear about any new idea, any new solution, and then they dream or think the problem is solved. Uh, if you take this upscaling, let's say, uh, factors, or for example, you go to university, we make some nice research in the laboratory. Normally, the apparatus in that lab is, for example, in the range of one kilowatt. So we put it on a table, we make some nice experiments, and then we m- made some papers, we find a new idea. So and now we have to come from one kilowatt to one gigawatt. And that's a factor of one million. And for sure, you can't upscale this one million in one step. So if you take real technical systems, we know we can realize upscaling of factors 30 to 50 in one step. Because you always you have a small design, you made some failures in the measurement, in the modeling, whatever. If you make an upscale by factor 1000, you also upscale these failures and then you can't run the new system. So that means normally 30 to 50 is what you can do in one step. But that means from one kilowatt to one gigawatt, you need four steps. And for sure, you need five to 10 years per step. So that means from a new idea to the real system, you need 20, 30, 40 years. And that's the main problem. They have a nice idea. We need some storage. Everything is fine. Okay. Sure, if we want to do that, we can do it. It will take 20, 30 years. It will take a huge amount of money, but it will take this time. And that's the main problem, that people have no idea on the time you need to come from A to B on national scaling. Has there been money put by the government in serious investment in this type of research? And where are we on this 20 to 30 year scale? Let's say that is a really complicated question for Germany because maybe if we go back 20 years in history, so we go back to the year 2000 plus minus. At that time, and that was more or less the time when we start with this energy transition system, we had a clear idea what to do and how to organize this way. So idea at that time was relatively clear, keep the nuclear power stations in Germany, so the existing one, as long as possible in the system, simply to have reliable and secured output without CO2 
including the problems with nuclear waste and all these things, but keep it running as long as possible. Keep the coal-fired units also running as long as possible and develop CCS, so carbon capture and storage or carbon capture and utilization in parallel so that we can operate these coal-fired units as long as possible, more or less CO2 emission-free. That was the idea 2000. We built up carbon capture technology. For example, I think in 2010, uh, we had three technical solutions uh, ready for the large rollout. So we built up uh, systems in the range of 10, 20, 30 megawatt, which is a quite large system for a prototype. But that's normally, let's say, the final prototyping stage, and then you go to the final rollout. So that means this technology was ready. So we had te three technical solutions, one here in our region and two others in the western part of Germany. Main problem that time was we can separate the CO2 from the exhaust gases from the power station. Question is what to do with the CO2. Uh, normally, the idea is take this CO2, or let's say take the carbon from this CO2, take hydrogen from any electrolyzers, make synthetic uh, methane or e-fuels or whatever where you need this carbon. Main problem, this technology was also not ready. So we decided, okay, in the first approach, let's store this CO2 somewhere in any cupboards. So suddenly people become nervous. Oh, these uh, caverns are not really tight. CO2 will come out, will die by CO2 and things like that. So that time, and that was 2010, government decided stop this CCS technology and also move out of coal. So that was, let's say, one of the main mistakes we made in the past. Also on the renewable side, we started with, I think we started 1990 with wind and photovoltaic. So, but we always know uh, it's a highly fluctuating source. So whenever we have overproduction uh, on that side, we have to take this electricity, build up electrolyzers, so convert electricity into hydrogen. And then again, the question, what to do with this hydrogen? Uh, either we put it into the gas grid and for a small amount you can do, do that, that you put it simply uh, or that you mix it together with the methane in the gas grid. So we had the electrolyzers ready up to five, six, seven megawatt. I remember 2005, 2006, we had a very large discussion in Germany. Should we build up the first 1000 megawatt of electrolyzer? So the next step of scale upscaling. That time uh, suddenly government decided, sorry, it's too expensive. Uh, we stop that whenever we need electricity uh, because we cannot produce enough in our country, we go to the European power market and buy it there. So then we had 2011 Fukushima. Suddenly they become crazy. Let's move out of uh, nuclear uh, in a very, very fast uh, track uh, and followed by let's move out of coal. And now we are in that situation. No, let's say secured generation, neither from nuclear nor from coal, and meanwhile also nor from gas because they switch off, uh, let's say, Nord Stream 1 and 2. So that's the point, let's say, 20 years ago, we had a clear idea and a clear plan. And now we have a lot of people living somewhere in their socio-ecological bub bubble and dreaming to save the planet with ideas, but without technical realization. So that strategy was replaced by short-term political tactics or reaction, 
reaction to fears. Troubleshooting. Troubleshooting, yeah. Interesting. What do you think about smart grids or storing electricity in car batteries? Is that realistic or is that also utopian? Again, Radio Yerevan, in principle, yes. I think the idea of smart grid is not a new idea. So that means, I don't know how many, but I think uh, hundreds, thousands of researchers all around the world work on, work on this topic. So that means also here at BTU we do that. So you have nothing else than a combination of renewables, uh, wind or photovoltaic. Normally you need the kind of reliable system, so any combined cycle unit, so that means a conventional system, you need a lot of storages and you need a very nice control system to operate this. So in principle, absolutely easy. Mm -hmm. So uh, we started, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, we started uh, with, uh, let's say, the, the laboratory level on one or two kilowatt. Then in 2010, we built up a first system upscaled by factor 50, so in the range up to 50 to 200 kilowatt, which is now in operation. So we organized the control system, everything is fine. Then the next idea was, if you have 100 kilowatt, next level is 3, 4, 5 megawatt. So, okay, possibly we can convert the whole BTU campus here at, Camp at Cottbus. So we have a, an own 20 kilovolt system. We have a peak load of about 2.5 to 3 megawatt. Okay, then build a new smart grid, much larger, and try to operate the whole campus. So that is now not a research installation, that's now a supply installation. So uh, at the first moment, uh, all the politicians, the president here, ah, sure, and whatever. And so that means we started in 2018. We are still discussing if we should go this step. So you see, that means, uh, that's what I told you, it takes you 10 years for the next step because now you have to convince people. So, why should we build up such a smart grid here at BTU? It's so complicated and for us it's much easier to buy electricity from the utility and not to operate such a complicated system. But that means, you see, this upscaling is really complicated. If you take the cars, uh, I know there is a discussion also in our national uh, government to uh, move into electricity, uh, immobility. The reason is relatively simple because I don't know what's the situation in UK, but in Germany, the electricity sector is only 20% of the uh, final energy. 30% is mobility, so it's simply diesel and fuel, and 50% is heat for heating the houses or for industry. So that means the electricity sector is the smallest one. Most of the emissions are somewhere in, in, in the car side or in the heating side. And now, for example, the mobility sector wants to shift their emissions to the electricity sector simply by using e-cars, because, you know, the e-car itself is free of any emission, but the electricity is possibly uh, linked to any emission. So that means the electricity sector will increase cost by e-cars. And you also have the same on the heat side. They want to build up heat pumps so that you have also electricity there. So it means now we have the situation that we have to integrate a huge amount of e-cars and they have a very large charging power. So the question is, are we able to run our electricity grid, for example, in the evening when millions of e-cars will come home and will start charging? And they have the idea, possibly we can use the battery in the car 
as a, let's say, distributed battery uh, for the system. Same problem, in principle, good idea, but first you have to convince the manufacturers of the cars that you are allowed to talk to the battery. They are normally not willing that the electricity sector will use the battery as a storage because the warranty of the battery is on the car manufacturer side. And if the grid is always using that battery and there's any damage in the battery system, question is, and who is the one who caused this, uh, let's say, damage, the driver or the power system? But it means that's a long discussion and we started here with vehicle to grid applications I think 10 years ago, first with own e-cars, now with some commercial cars. But again, if you have technical solutions and now more and more car manufacturers will move in this direction. So, for example, if you take the Japanese cars, they can do vehicle to grid. <coughs> the German ones, meanwhile, start a little bit. But at the final end, you need millions of them. So, for example, if you have for example, 20 millions of e-cars in Germany and the drivers or the owners accept that the power system can use this battery, then you have the size you need for, let's say, fluctuating wind or fluctuating uh, photovoltaic. Mm -hmm. Main problem is how to operate 20 million cars. So is there any control system which you can use? I think for sure you will not do that by internet because if you have, let's say, the normal internet, millions of crazy guys around the world will try to hack into the system. So you need a new, I don't know, internet of energy or how you call it. But that is the problem. Same with, with smart grids, how to run millions of producers, millions of storages in the houses or millions of cars. So it's nice to talk about that. For sure, there is a technical solution, but we do not have it in that size we need it. A couple of things that occur to me there is you mentioned uh, yeah, running over the internet makes it vulnerable <coughs> to hackers. Is a, a more complex, the more complex such a system is, is it more vulnerable to attack from outside? I think the, the problem really is we see that in the normal, let's say, communication systems, there are always uh, maybe persons, sometimes uh, nations, who try to hack into whatever. And normally, if you have not so many, let's say, knots in the system, so you have, let's say, the large high voltage system, you have the, the let's say, the substations, you have a few of large power stations, it's more easy to keep that system closed uh, uh, than you have a system which is open for millions. And that's I think that for sure there might be a solution, but actually we do not have it. And the point is, if we want to move in this direction, it will take time and you will make a lot of failures. It's the same idea if you take, for example, uh, this autonomous driving. So in principle, in 10 years or 20 years, maybe the system is developed in a way that the car can drive uh, more or less on its own decisions. But the way to this point is a very complicated and normally you should move to the new system when it's ready to be used and not we have a nice idea. So that means it's absolutely crazy to switch off the existing system before the new system is completely running. And that's what they actually try to do in Germany. Uh, and uh, Another thing that just occurred to me as we were talking about this is uh, you, you mentioned earlier in the interview, photovoltaic is zero effective when the sun is down. Mm. People charge their cars at night time. Mm. So photovoltaic is 
not useful for um, for charging car batteries basically at all. True. Yeah, but again, then we, we have, let's say, and I have a lot of discussions with the politics in Berlin, they say, yeah, but then we can build up some small storages in the private houses so that you, for example, produce your electricity on the roof of your house uh, during the daytime, you put it into your own storage and then you can charge your car or you can produce the electricity you need during the night. But again, then you have the situation now, uh, and I told you, you need the forecast of the load. In former times, we had, let's say, the normal consumer. And we know what the normal consumer will do during the week. Uh, now we have, let's say, a consumer with own generation on the roof. So can make a forecast, okay, the weather forecast for tomorrow is this or that or that. So we got the feeling what might be the, the generation of photovoltaics or wind tomorrow or in the next hour or whatever. And now you have additional millions of storages. And nobody knows what millions of owners from these storages will do with this storage. So then you get a feeling if you have millions from them, they will have an impact to the whole system. At the final end, we have to balance load and generation minute by minute. And that makes it really complicated because we have no communication system to switch off or switch on that from outside, so from the control centers. And that's, that's the same problem. You have a nice idea uh, and then you recognize, okay, from the idea to the real system, you have this million of upscaling factor and you need time to make all these technical developments and technical solutions so that the system will run. And that's the, I think that's the main problem <coughs> uh, here in Germany. Uh, maybe a lot of people meanwhile recognize we have a lot of severe problems and whenever anyone will have any idea, ah, it's solved, uh, there's a new idea on the market. And that's the point. Do you think the new government is better at recognizing these problems than the previous ones under Merkel? Have you had more interest in, in politicians or their, their people talking to you since the new government came to power? I really wondered uh, in 2011 and also in 2020 that Merkel decided to move out of nuclear and out of coal. Because, uh, let's say, from their education, she is a PhD in physics. Meanwhile, I checked her uh, thesis work, so it's, it's somewhere in theoretical physics. So it, it's not really, let's say, experimental physics. So that means I, I really never understood why she decided to move in this direction. Now, I think we have a situation that the Green Party wants to use the, let's say, four years of their term to push as fast as possible in this direction. So, and, uh, they move in one direction and say, oh, sorry, that was a failure. Oh, then we move back and go in the other one. So that will be now the difference uh, for the next, uh, let's say, uh, remaining, I don't know, two years or three years, I don't know. Uh, but that will be a, really a problem. And you see the, the, the situation for the upcoming winter. It's, it's absolutely stupid. So if you see, we have a situation where we have problems with gas. Uh, where, for example, people will start using electric heaters. So where the, let's say, the demand of electricity may increase caused by these heaters. We also possibly have problems to run the gas-fired power stations because we need the gas on the heating side. 
So then normally the idea is take all the available resources of power stations, bring it to the system, because we also know in France they have huge trouble with their nuclear power stations. I think 50% of these units are out of operation due to any failures, maintenance or whatever, I don't know. But let's say also France will have a really a real problem in the winter to, let's say, deliver France by owning power stations. And then we have a discussion, yeah, should we keep the three remaining powers, nuclear power stations running or not and blah, blah, blah. They always dream, let's try to move through the winter without any decision going back to, let's say, more coal or more nuclear. We had a similar situation two years ago in winter 21. I think that was, uh, I can't remember the date, I think that was January 8th or 9th. Uh, we had a situation, Germany was not able to supply the own country at any time from their own power stations. Same in France. And was later on... Because of a lack of wind in... Sure. Yeah, they, they, because if you, for example, uh, reduce the conventional system, so you, we switched off some nuclear power stations at the beginning of the year, so January 1st, uh, we switched off some coal-fired units, and we always stream, okay, if we have enough wind and photovoltaic, it may work. And suddenly there was no wind and no photovoltaic, and see, oops, the load is above the maximum generation, so there is a gap. I think the gap at that time was uh, 2,000 megawatt or 2 gigawatt. Same problem in France. They had uh, some uh, nuclear power stations out of operation, I think that time caused by the pandemic. So they had not enough stuff to run that systems. And later on, we also learned also in Spain, they bought electricity from outside Spain. And all these three countries bought electricity from Romania and Bulgaria. So that means in these two countries, they operate all the old existing coal-fired unit on the maximum output. We can discuss efficiency, we can discuss CO2 emissions in these countries, but it doesn't matter because that is the problem of Bulgaria and Romania, not of Germany and France. So they only buy electricity and electricity is free of CO2. So that means from the, let's say, uh, national eco-balance, we are absolutely green. So that means they bought, I think in total, I don't the figures, but I think it's about six or seven gigawatt from these two countries. And then they tried to transport this electricity through the high voltage system in Europe, through uh, the Balkan uh, countries, into Austria, into Germany, into France, into Spain. Unfortunately, the European interconnected uh, electricity system was never built to trade electricity on national scaling. It was always an emergency system. So idea was, because if you go back to the 60s or 70s, at that time, all the countries operate their own high voltage system. So for example, in France, they had their own system. In Germany, in Austria, they are not interconnected. And then they recognized maybe it's better for the, for the reliability of the system if you have some lines crossing the border so, for example, if you take a nuclear power station in Biblis, which is very close to the French border, if there is any failure in that system, so we lose this nuclear power station, maybe then France can help with 2,000 or 3,000 megawatt 
crossing the border into that area. So that means the, the European interconnected system was always a kind of helping the neighbor in case of emergency, not trading thousands of megawatt inside Europe. So that means in this January 21, suddenly one small substation in Croatia was overloaded, switched off, and then within, I think, two minutes, so extremely fast, all the lines going from Balkan towards the north, switched off due to overloading. That means suddenly you have a situation, the southeastern part of Europe was completely, they have much, much more generation than load in this area because they want to supply the rest to the north. And in the north they have to less. So that means frequency dropped down here and in, in the Balkan area moved up very fast. So that was a situation and let's say the next winter is very, very similar. So we have a situation which is more critical in France, which is more critical in Germany. And for sure, they will try to buy somewhere in Europe. If there is no overloading, possibly it can work. If there is any problem somewhere in the grid, you have a similar situation than we have in 21. We had a similar situation in 2006. So that means, <clears throat> but you can't explain that to the politician. Then they argue, yeah, then we have to expand the grid, full stop. Mm -hmm. Main problem is why should, for example, Poland and France and the other countries, why should they improve or increase their own power system simply to supply Germany? So, yeah. but that's the point and <clears throat> but they will try it. So, there is actually there is no other chance, you know, uh, this, this movie from Walt Disney, The Lemmingham, uh, they want to run and uh, at the final end they have to jump. Uh -huh. <clears throat> Do you, are you very worried about a blackout hitting Germany this winter? I think <clears throat> we must be a bit careful with the word blackout. So normally blackout means it's a long-term and very large uh, disconnection of the consumers. So it's not a local event, not for example, switching off some parts of Cottbus. Mm -hmm. So normally if you have a real blackout, then we discuss Germany or Central Europe, size like that, and then a day or two or three. The problem is, and for that you have to understand a bit how we can operate a European system. Because if you imagine, have a situation you have millions or hundreds of millions of consumers in Europe, you have thousands of power stations and you have to control minute by minute that the generation is identical than the load. How you want to do that? For sure there is, there's no chance to build up a kind of control system that any computers can control that. So you need a very simple idea that this can be done more or less automatically. The idea is relatively simple because I'm not sure if you know the wording frequency. So for example, in Europe, we run a frequency of 50 Hertz, which is nothing else than the generators in the power station will run with 50 rotation per second, or if you want 3000 rotations per minute, which is the same then, for example, in your car, if you take this, I don't know, what's the, 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 the measurement, the, the system where you can measure the rotation of the energy of the engine, uh, for example, you have these 3000, for example, uh, and you also can imagine you, you run on 3000 rotations per minute, you see suddenly there's a small hill coming, so you have to increase, let's say, uh, the engine that you will not drop down on the frequency. That's the simple idea. So that means we run the same frequency in the whole interconnected system in Europe. 
whenever frequency moves down, we know, okay, there is more load than generation because system will slow down. That means there is one <clears throat> limit, which is 49.8. If you reach this value, then automatically all the reserves and the power stations will be activated to push the system up. If that is not enough, so frequency again moves down. If you reach 49, 49.0, then we recognize, okay, we have too much load. We have to switch off load. That means starting at 49, the first consumers will be disconnected, or let's say some first uh, parts of the grid will be switched off. So then you have a kind of regional blackout because this part of the grid then is dark. And then you have, I think, between 49 and 48, you have four or five steps where you switch off more and more and more uh, consumers. And when you reach 47.5, then all the power stations will be switched off. Then you have the, let's say, European blackout. So it would start with individual regions like Brandenburg, for instance, and then it would slowly get bigger to the national level. And then at this level that you mentioned, then yes. it would hit the whole... We have, let's say, two examples in history. So we had uh, a blackout in Italy uh, in 2005, I think. That time, uh, it was, from the technical point of view, it was absolutely stupid what they did, but they did it. So I told you, normally, if you have pump storage units and the Italian uh, operators will have large pump storage units in the northern parts of Italy, so in the Alp region, normally in the night they try to use the electricity which is not used for the consumer. They bring it to the pump storage units and fill up the storage. Then suddenly they recognize, oh, in Scandinavia, electricity is more cheap than in the southern part of Italy. So why should we buy the uh, electricity from the southern part of Italy? Let's buy it in Scandinavia. Simply done by, the, let's say, the, the energy traders without any, let's say, knowledge on the technical system. They simply bought a huge amount of electricity in Scandinavia. And then, the, let's say, the current uh, electricity has to flow through whole Europe. At the final end, it will be concentrated in Switzerland because there are three lines going from Switzerland into the northern region of Italy where you have the, st the storages. And suddenly in the night, uh, the power system operator in Switzerland recognized, oh, these lines coming closer and closer to the limits. So he called his guy in Rome, you have to reduce the pumping power of your pump storage unit, otherwise we will trip with our lines. So he reduced that pumping uh, power by 200 megawatt, uh, which was not enough. In the morning he learned 2000 would be better. So that means these three lines tripped and suddenly Italy was disconnected from Europe. They had still their pumping system in operation, so they had much, much more load in the system than generation and frequency dropped down and they reached 47.5, uh, so all the power stations stripped. That means Italy had a blackout, uh, let's say the first parts recovered after one day, the last parts recovered after five days. Same in 2006, where we had a split between the North Sea and Adria. So that means the uh, system was split into a southwestern part in Europe and the northeastern part. In the southwestern part, frequency dropped down to 49 or a little bit below. So we had some areas in France, some areas in the southwest of Germany, which move into a local or regional blackout. Uh, the rest uh, remains on the system, but 
that was same idea then or let's say same systematic than 21 when we had the, the system split in, in the Balkan region. What would happen if it comes to pass that a region is hit by a blackout? Does that mean hospitals also mm-hmm. will be taken off the grid? Are there, are there some safety mechanisms there to ensure that kind of basic critical infrastructure remains online? There was a really good study made by, or let's say made for the German parliament in 2011. So that time it's a a really sick book. You can download that uh, in the system. Uh, Let's say the impact of a large and long-term blackout to the society in Germany. They investigated only day one, because let's say if you have no electricity for more than one day, the whole society will collapse. But if you only take day one, and if you imagine you have a flat somewhere in a building with, I don't know, 10, 15 floors. So you are somewhere in floor 10. That means within one second, no electricity, no light, no heating, because you have no electricity for the heating pumps, uh, no refrigerator, uh, no water. Uh, because also the pumps uh, in the, let's say, uh, in the water, uh, Wasserwerke, what is that? Uh, um, waterworks. Waterworks, really? That is a word by word translation? Uh, <laughs> Doesn't matter. But let's say the pumps in this. The, the central. Yeah, where exactly. Is okay, but that means also no electricity, no water pressure. That means you can go to the toilet. You can flush the toilet because no water. You know, you can imagine you stay there for three days, no light, no heating, no water. Becomes quite nice to stay in such a flat for, let's say, some days. Uh, if you want to go to any shopping center, it's closed because, uh, let's say, no light, no uh, cashing machines, nothing. Uh, also, bank machines are out of order. Uh, if you go to the hospitals, normally they should have, <coughs> let's say, motor generator sets uh, to run a little bit of electricity, but uh, normally the motor generator sets in a hospital are designed to, let's say, to operate, uh, let's say, the uh, intensive station. Now it's a bit uh, Inten- intensive the, station. The station yeah. Okay, that means only a very small part of the hospital can be operated by these uh, motor generator sets if they will start and if they have enough petrol to run for more than, for example, three or four or five autos. For example, we had a small uh, failure in Berlin, I think two years ago, uh, where one part of Berlin, so Berlin Köpenick, was disconnected for 30 hours, I think. Same problem, Uh, there is a hospital in this area, so that means at the very beginning the motor generator started but after four hours it stopped. So that means again you have to take all the people from that hospital to bring it to somewhere else. It was not a problem because that area is very small, but if you imagine you have hundreds of kilometers, complicated. So that means uh, whenever you have such a blackout, let's say if it's for some hours, one, two, three, maybe five, six hours, that is not a problem. If you have 24 hours, then it becomes more and more critical. And if you have more than one day, then for sure it's absolutely horrible for a society. And it's the kind of thing that's very likely to lead to social unrest. Yeah, the the point is people are not 
familiar with this situation. For example, I remember uh, if you go to the eastern coast of US, uh, sometimes they have this hurricane season at that site uh, and people are familiar that suddenly electricity will disappear for a day or more. So they have their own motor generator sets in their houses. They are more or less trained to withstand, maybe not weeks, but to withstand some days without any problems. In Germany or let's say in Europe, for sure there is no one prepared on that. And uh, especially if, when, if you discuss hospitals or other uh, systems like that, and it's really, really hard. Does that worry you then? Are you worried that if Germany keeps on its current energy policies that this is eventually going to happen and it's going to have really unpredictable consequences? point is really uh, how you can change the actual, let's say, way of Germany in, the, in its energy policy. So that means that we come more back to the system we had 20 years ago, which is much more clear than the actual one. You can talk to the people as long as you want. They are not willing to accept that. Normal answer is, Professor Schwarz, you are talking the same bullshit for the past 20 years. But you see, the system works, so where's the problem? Now we'll see what's the situation in this winter. Uh, maybe it will help us, let's say, uh, to come back to engineering-based uh, energy transition, but it is like it is. I mean, among your colleagues, would you say your opinions are consensus? Do you have arguments with your colleagues? Are there other, other specialists on the technical side of this who think that this isn't actually a problem? Let's say, I really wonder when I listen to any discussion between any media and, for example, large uh, generation companies like RWE or other lungs or large grid operators. Uh, for example, uh, I remember there was an interview uh, with uh, the grid control center of Amprion in the west of Germany and they are normally one of the largest uh, grid operators there. And uh, they also ask, and what is your feeling about blackout and things like that? And the official answer really actually is we are not the one reliable, uh, re uh, we are not the one which are, let's say, responsible for this question. So we are the ones operating the grid. The question of secure power generation is the question of the government. Same answer, meanwhile, you will get from the power station operators, LEAG or RWE. So they more or more concentrated, concentrate on their own business without thinking the whole system because say sorry in the former times we as RWE or as Vattenfall or whatever we were responsible to supply a larger area with power stations with grid with consumers like that now we are responsible for producing electricity from renewables or from whatever or we are responsible to operate the power system so the grid itself but let's say the overall organization or that is part of the German Ministry of Economics and Energy or the Bundesnetzagentur, which is the federal agency of, uh, let's say, the power system here in Germany. So that means they shift the responsibility more and more to the government. I'm sorry, that is not our task. So, but here you can see, okay, and uh, is the government really able to understand the whole system? For example, you see also in about two, two or three weeks ago, they make this stress test on the power system in Germany. 
So that test or let's say this investigation was done by the large grid operators. Uh, they also, for example, pointed out we need the nuclear or let's say if the three nuclear power stations in Germany are still running during the winter, it's much better for us. Result was, but we will try it without. So the result of the stress test was clear. We need nuclear. Yeah, sure. It, let's say, in principle, it's absolutely easy. You take the peak load in all countries in Europe or in the world. They always take the peak load, so the maximum demand. And then they try to organize their generation side in a way that the secured output of all the power stations in the country is always larger than the peak load. Because then I know at any moment in the year, I can supply this country from my own resources. Meanwhile, we are far below this peak load and we want to close this gap either by reactivating old systems like we now do in the winter or we buy something in Europe. For example, here in our region, uh, we had two uh, large blocks from Lignite uh, switched off in 2018 and 2019, so three or four years ago. They stood still for three or four years. Now they have to be reactivated and for sure, if you take a car which was out of operation for several years and say, okay, now I will put in a new battery, I will start this car and I will run it on maximum output and go down to Italy. For sure, that will never work. So, but that's what they now do. I think actually they reactivate 12 coal-fired units here in Germany to have a little bit more generation from our own resources. Nobody knows if that really will work uh, because we never tried that. But nevertheless, we want to switch off nuclear because the Green Party wants to get rid of nuclear. Actually, they have a kind of agreement that the two units in the South should be staying in a kind of reserve until uh, spring next year. But in, in principle, they are also more or less switched off. Well, that is... I want to finish on a deeper question that perhaps explains or asks why energy policy has become so has left has become has become less interested in the technical solutions is in your opinion do you think energy policy has become politicized over the 20 past 20 years so you know in in the 20th century people just saw energy production as a technical thing that was they they were interested in creating enough energy to create to to run hospitals uh, industry whatever and this isn't just a German problem, but it's perhaps particularly more pronounced in Germany that energy has become something that's either good or bad, that's, that's sort of evil or, or, or good or progressive or regressive. Is, is that why energy policy in your opinion, from what you're describing, has become, is going down a road of greater instability? It's not, the, the, it's not only the problem on the uh, energy technology side. I think it's, it's a general problem. I'm not sure if that is only in Germany or in Central Europe. So because uh, in the past, uh, before Corona, I went to China, I don't know, 20 times in the, the past year. So I, I really can compare situation in China. Let's say the what is the... the the standing of engineering in China, what's here in Europe. So if you go 
back maybe in the, into the 60s or 70s or maybe 80s last century. For sure, Germany was really engineering oriented, not only Germany, also a lot of other countries in Europe. So that means engineering was very important for this country. Uh, we also saw that in the universities, we had really a huge amount of students in mechanical engineering, in electrical engineering. We also split or we, we built up these universities of technology because that time we decided, okay, we want to focus on engineering technologies. So maybe, I don't know, 20 years later, uh, people or society adapted to technical things. So they are there and you can use it. Nobody really thinks and who will develop that or produce that. So it's a, a topic, for example, your laptop, you use it, full stop. That means uh, engineering becomes more and more, let's say, uninteresting. So you see, let's say, number of students in engineering uh, fields went down, totally different to China. So there are absolutely going up. So, for example, I, I know a lot of uh, universities in China, which are only electric power universities with 30,000 students in electric power systems, including the power station. So if you look around in Germany, you have, I don't know, 10, 15 universities of technical of technology. And in there is a little bit of power engineering. Uh, if you compare that, for example, with uh, the understanding in China, it's totally different. So that means the engineering part in the society moved down and down and down. That means now the non-engineers came up step by step by step. Uh, and together with, let's say, social media and other, let's say, channels to communicate, they become more and more loud. So they have nice ideas what they want to do in the future, but they have not the knowledge how to do that. Unfortunately, they are always present uh, in the media. For example, I remember there was a, a really a very, very small demonstration in Potsdam, which is southwest of Berlin. I think uh, 600 or 700 people demonstrated for renewables. So, and there was one crazy guy knowing nothing on power engineering. We have enough renewable energies for a secured power supply in Germany. This message you can hear in the news in this broadcasting company every 30 minutes. And for sure, if you hear that some days, you believe that. So that means now we have a situation that a lot of people in Germany believe we can do this and that and that because they hear nothing else. That is a situation in, in China, for example, we will call it brainwashing. In Germany, it's not allowed to say brainwashing for that. But in principle, you always can hear these ideas in the media. And if you have a situation for 10, 15, 20 years, for sure, the Leminge will move in this direction. Absolutely easy. So that means Germany needs to solve this problem. Germany needs to start investing again in engineering. It starts, needs to start encouraging people to go into, uh, to study engineering. And then, but to turn this ship around, you need another 20 years then to, sure. to have the expertise to do it. First, we need the kind of trigger event which is hopefully not too painful for Germany, simply to switch on the brain and remember, oh, there's something behind, there's technology you need, and there's upscaling and all the things we discussed. And if we recognize, okay, we have to go back to this way, then for sure we need 
10, 20 years uh, to come back to this track. But, uh, and it's not just a problem then in, in your field. If, I mean, that German car making, all, all sorts of fields where Germany once led globally, the, this is going to have effects on the whole German industrial model. I think that's the main point also. For example, if you have this CO2 discussion. So I think there is no engineer in Germany which will argue against this we have to reduce CO2. Absolutely clear. But the point is, and also you can, can't explain that to the government, our share of CO2 to the global CO2 emission is about 2%. Even if Germany will disappear, no impact to the climate. So that means the only part we can do is that we develop technology, which is cheap and reliable and exportable to other countries, so that they also can use these ideas so that we get a larger share of reduction. Main problem is we are now on a track. We want to create our own solution, horribly expensive and non-exportable to any other place in the world. I say, okay, if you want to do that, you spend a huge amount of money, you help that industry will go out of Germany, but at the final end, there is no impact uh, for any uh, improvement of CO2 reduction. Okay, thank yeah. you. You, wa you want to return to UK, yeah? Leave Germany as fast as, fast as possible, yeah? Uh, let's just say it wasn't a very optimistic discussion, but uh, the situation in the UK isn't that much better. We have our own problems. Then back to Jerusalem or Cairo, yeah? <laughs> Inshallah, it is better there. Yeah? Inshallah. Okay, thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Thanks to you. To you.